It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme on the first Wednesday where Peter Dowdle will be back answering gardening questions uh, later on. And let's start with what was a great news day yesterday for the Irish with the Oscar nominations announced. And everybody was hoping that the Irish, we always hope that we'll get a couple of nominations. And we normally get one or two. We never get very many, but this was the year the year we were in with a real shot of getting a number of nominations. And from an Irish point of view, really yesterday, it couldn't have gone any better. Uh, better and uh, it's our most successful haul ever yesterday when the nominations got uh, announced and of course leading the charge the wonderful Banshees of uh, Inishir and if you haven't seen it I suggest you go along uh, or you download it and uh, you watch it online because it's it, it's absolutely fantastic well well worth uh, the watch and of course the nominations yesterday there uh, were expected because the, the awards season is well underway and they are doing extremely well at all of the various uh, different awards that, that have taken place so far but yesterday they got a very impressive nine nominations for Oscars and let's be honest it's the Oscars are the ones the Academy Awards are the ones they all want to get nominated for and then we keep our fingers crossed and hope that they will win on the night and Martin McDonough has to have the biggest smile on his face uh, today. He was nominated for the Best Original Screenplay, also nominated for the, the Best Director category. And then, of course, when the Best Picture was nominated, 10 movies have been nominated in the Best Picture nominations, The Banshees of Inishirin, right there up there with the best of them for uh, this uh, year. Another one that I think a lot of people we were all expecting to hear and see was Colin Farrell being nominated for the Best Actor Award and seemingly industry sources are saying he is one of the favourites to walk away with the Oscar on the night and that's something he's never done before and I'm open to correction as well. I don't think he's ever even been nominated before. He certainly hasn't won an Oscar but he's got a real, real shot of uh, walking away with the Academy Award for the Banshees of uh, Inishirin. And then I was thrilled when I heard Brendan Gleeson getting nominated and Barry Keown getting nominated. They both got nominated in the Best Supporting Actor category. And then to, to really top it all uh, was to hear Kerry Condon. Kerry Condon, she's been nominated uh, Best Supporting Actress. And of course, she plays the part of Colin Farrell's sister uh, in, Banshee, in, in the Banshees of Inishirin. So there's really four main stars uh, in it. Now, I know there's there's a number of other uh, smaller parts, but there's four main actors and the one actress and all of them now have been nominated. And, and that really, I think, shows how 
fantastic a movie the Banshees uh, is so it, it, it is brilliant and then the one that brought the biggest smile to my face for sure and I was absolutely thrilled was to hear um, uh, Colleen Kuhn it, it's been nominated it, there's, it's in there's five nominations in the category it's the best international uh, film uh, in, a, in a different language and obviously it's the first time an Irish language movie has ever been nominated for uh, an Oscar which is just fantastic I, now that's a movie I haven't seen but everybody talks about it being such a moving uh, film and it's a very you know it's very low budget and it's just been doing it's you know it's uh, defying all the expectations and it's absolutely overperforming for a small movie which is great but the fact that it, it is an Irish language uh, movie we can be really really pl- proud of Colin Kuhn as I say haven't seen it but anyone I've spoken to all talk about it being an exceptional movie also Irish interests there's a a Northern Ireland uh, short called An Irish Goodbye and that has been nominated in the best live action short so 14 nominations in total staggering haul and you know a lot of the commentators are saying that this represents a much needed shot in the arm for Irish cinema particularly in the aftermath of the pandemic and of course another nomination that everyone was also expecting was Paul uh, Meskel. He has been uh, nominated for Best Actor. He's actually up against Colin Farrell and he's been nominated for the movie uh, After Some. And actually I saw yesterday and a number of the papers are picking up on it as well. Just hours after Paul got the nomination, his mother Dervila got her hair cut and that's in preparation for chemotherapy. She's been diagnosed with uh, cancer and she's just about to start her chemotherapy. So it was, uh, I know her his sister Nell who was on, was it The Late Late I saw her singing on, was it last week, last weekend? Um, she actually put up on um, social media, you know, life is so crazy because obviously she's very much thinking of her, her mum and what her mum is facing and going through. And then they had this wonderful, wonderful day of Paul being nominated for um, a, a, an Oscar. And then out on Akil Island, <laughs> the reports are that the pints were flowing and the good times have rolled in for everybody on uh, Akil Island. Everybody ce- celebrating this outstanding eight nominations for the Banshees of Inish Ear and equally joyous scenes I believe out on Inish Moor of course Inish Moor was where many of the film's iconic uh, scenes were actually uh, shot and in the papers uh, today Chris McCarthy manager of the Ackill Tourism said that the whole community was absolutely overjoyed with the news yesterday they said they're emotionally attached to the film for a plethora of reasons but they are so excited and delighted for the cast and the crew and of course many of the islanders ended up becoming extras in the movie uh, as well and he said we didn't win anything yet but it feels like we've won something and when you're from Mayo you'll take the wins (laughs) wherever you can Uh, nine did I say eight nine nominations uh, fantastic he says today is a day we will never forget and it is a great day for Ackle they're now expecting an influx of visitors to the island following the film's unprecedented success and actually the Aran Island ferries say that the company they're already starting to reap the benefits from the movie they're already seeing American passengers 
coming into their office asking which islands were the banshees of Inishiram filmed on and then straight away booking tickets to uh, Inishmore. Uh, you know, and Aran Island Ferries are making the point it's only January and they're already seeing the tangible benefits that the film will bring to the island. So I imagine they are going to have an extremely busy, busy summer. So 14 nominations will be keeping our fingers crossed for everybody on Oscar night. Pat Infomoy was on about the doll proceedings yesterday and it reminded him of a game of uh, tennis. Uh, and this of course was Pascal Donoghue having to, the public expenditure minister having to address the doll yet again uh, about election expenses 2016 and from 2020. Did we learn anything new yesterday? Because I watched it live on Rockdus TV and I don't know if I did learn anything new from it but uh, Pat Infomoy says it reminded him of a game of tennis yesterday. The opposition are saying, I don't uh, believe you. And then the, uh, the uh, Pascal Donovan said, well, that's the way it happened. And then it went over and back and over and back and over and back. Now, Pat said what he did notice and so did I, was how full the doll was. If they'd been talking about health or housing, there probably only would have been a handful of TDs in the doll uh, chamber. So what were they interested in yesterday? Getting ahead on a plate or serving the country? But it just reminded them of a tennis match with the ball going over and back and over and back. And you're right, the one thing that struck me when I sat down to watch it uh, yesterday uh, was that the doll chamber was full. And I then deliberately stayed with Aroctus TV just to see what would happen after. Afterwards, they all filed out and I think it was Stephen Donnelly was speaking uh, next because to do with the post the post-mortem uh, bill and it looked like he was the only one inside in the chamber delivering everybody else just uh, left so yeah I noticed that uh, as well and reading the political correspondence uh, today they're saying Pascal Donoghue's performance in the doll seems to have been enough to uh, reassure his party colleagues and his coalition um, uh, colleagues they seemed happy with what he had to say but some of the opposition TDs are insisting there are more questions to be answered. Then last night the Taoiseach Lear Varadkar said I think at this stage she says it really boils down to whether you believe Pascal or not and Leo says I do believe him. He said other political parties had scripted their responses before the minister even stood up in the doll so they didn't even listen to what he had to say but he admitted that's the way politics plays out. It's their objective to throw mud and hope that some of it sticks and of course he says as his colleagues we are going to support him because we believe him and that's the way that is exactly the way politics uh, works if the shoe was on the other foot it would have been the government uh, TDs flinging across the questions uh, to the uh, other side but it's a yeah I have to agree with Pat though it's a bit frustrating to see a full almost full houses of the Oireachtas for something like this and yet when they discuss issues that you know we you know that, that we feel are as are probably more important there's only a handful of people in there but it's the way politics seems to work in this country This is Cork Today on C103 Email Patricia now with your story or comment Cork Today at C103.ie Cork County Councillors have threatened to picket Ishka Aaron, formerly Irish Water, their headquarters, unless they get a meeting with senior management to discuss delays to a number of local sewerage treatment projects. Uh, Fine Gael's leader at Cork County Council is Councillor John Paul O'Shea, uh, who joins me. Good morning to John Paul. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, good morning, listeners. You're very welcome to the programme. Now, there are seven sewerage treatment projects. Can you outline where they are and when you as councillors had hoped that they would be or could be completed? Yes, Patricia. 
Patricia. Well, I suppose back in 2020, um, Irish Water, the Din Irish Water, announced that they were going to put forward a new programme um, to advance a wastewater treatment plant upgrade in our towns and villages right across the country. So it's the Small Towns and Villages Growth Programme was the name of the of the scheme that was announced. They asked the local authorities, like Cork County Council, to submit their uh, list of, um, I suppose, uh, towns and villages that could benefit from this upgrade. And we submitted a list of 35 towns and villages right across the county that could benefit from that. Uh, and I suppose from that, Irish Water chose seven projects, which was announced in 2021, um, to be completed um, within their own capital programme, which goes from 2020 to 2024. So they originally announced five, and they added two more onto that again. Uh, but I suppose we've seen as local councillors in the last, uh, I suppose, number of months, uh, we've moved on from 2021, we went all through 2022, and there's been very little up, uh, uptake or, or upgrades going on in any of those seven uh, villages that have been announced. And I, I put forward a motion for last Monday's meeting uh, of the council for an, up, uh, an update on this from our own Director of Water Services and the County Council. Uh, and I suppose to my dismay, but I, I already assumed uh, that there was going to be very little update. Um, none of them have progressed very much. And it's very disappointing, Patricia, which ultimately means that none of the seven villages that were picked out by Irish Water and put forward by Cork County Council will now be complete by the end of their own capital programme for 2024. Uh, it's really disappointing. And we're talking about Columni Ovens, Ballinina and Eskeen, Ballinspittal, Belgooley, Castle Magnar, Glamworth, uh, Liz Gould. So they're, they're spread right across um, at the county. And of course, by not having these wastewater treatment projects completed, um, is, it, it, does that mean that no houses or developments can happen until Irish Ishka Aaron do their work? Uh, that's absolutely correct, Patricia. And there's one of them in my own area, which is Cast Magnor, very uh, close to my where I live myself. And uh, we've been pressing for many, many years for Cast Magnor to be developed. Um, you know, there is a wastewater treatment plant there. There is existing space within um, the existing estates that are there and service sites that cannot be developed. And there's also other lands that are uh, in the village um, that I suppose landowners and developers have been on to us and say that they would start development there um, if the wastewater treatment plant was upgraded. That's why they were prioritised, um, and that's, uh, I suppose, where we're at. And I suppose it really is misfortunate that Irish Water um, have not kept their side of the bargain. And, um, you know, if this was a Cork County Council project and we weren't completed in time, we'd be brought over the barrel. And I think it's vitally important now that we get a meeting with the Chief Executive of Ishgaran. We also notified the Minister for Housing and Local Government, Dara O'Brien, who's the overall Minister over Irish Water, um, and also the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Pascal Dunahoo, uh, because we need to let them know that Irish Water are not complying with their own capital plan. They're not putting forward um, these projects. They're not completing them in time. And we are in a housing crisis. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a severe housing crisis in this country. And we have put, as Cork County Council, have put seven villages forward uh, to make sure that we can upgrade the sewage tra- uh, treatment plants in the village so we can accommodate more housing in those villages. And Irish Water has... Um, you know, not kept up their side of the bargain. You, you know, as well as I do, and all your listeners know that, you know, in terms of uh, designing this, in terms of putting a plan in place, in terms of getting planning permission, in terms of appointing a contractor, in terms of completing the works, this is going to take a minimum of two to three years. And if we don't progress these now and put an urgency on these seven towns and villages, well, it's sadly, they're not going to be completed before the end of 2024. Is it a funding issue? 
No, it's not, because, like as I said, this small town and villages grow programme has been announced as to, in 2020, Patricia. There was €100 million euro allocated to that. As part of the seven projects that have been approved for Cork County, €19.5 million euro has been allocated uh, by the department through Cork County Council. So the money is there, sitting in the pot, waiting to be spent. And yes, we have Irish Water, who have not progressed any single project to full design, and to go for planning at this stage, which is very disappointing. And all my colleagues right across the political spectrum were supportive of the motion um, on Monday is to write to Ishgaran and to meet with the Chief Executive and the Senior Management in Ishgaran and ask them why are they delaying these projects when there's such a need for housing in the country. And the, and the knock-on effect, uh, John Paul, is huge, isn't it, for rural areas? I mean, if, if you don't get new houses uh, built, schools, businesses, sporting clubs all get affected because there's no new blood to keep them going. Absolutely, Alan. Like we have d- developed our own county development plan, Patricia, which I know you've had many councillors on talking about it over the last two years. It's two-year work for the Cork County Council and all its members. And we have identified where the growth is in the next number of years. We've identified a special number of growth for all Oracle projects right across the county. But also, we want to make sure that there is particular growth in certain villages. And this has happened now uh, in the seven villages we've picked out. Um, but sadly, Irish Water hasn't kept their side of the bargain. Yeah, it's really, it's very, very frustrating. And, and I imagine even for the, the council executives, they are equally as frustrated as the councillors. Absolutely. And like we got the full support of the executive and they do want to meet Irish Water as well. I mean, we do have plans for Cork County, every town and village right across Cork County. And Patricia, we submitted a, um, a list of 35 projects. We want to get the first seven over the line. But as the Deputy Chief Executive James Fogley said the last day, we have seven more to come on board for the next round um, as well. So we have plenty of villages uh, that could benefit from this funding. But we want Irish Water to progress these projects now as quickly as possible. Yeah, I kind of, when I heard you say that this was 7 out of 35 that you submitted I thought I thought about the other 28 on that list God almighty if you can't get this 7 over the line quickly enough what hope do you have for the other 28 Yes, Patricia. And like, I mean, we have, um, uh, in Cork County Council, if we have demands on our own staff, we outsource a lot of it uh, to make sure that, I suppose, private um, architects and, and designers come on board to help us to bring these projects forward. Irish Water should be doing the same, to bring it forward to a planning stage, to bring it forward so we can appoint a contractor and put these wastewater treatment systems in place. They're going to improve the villages that we have from an environmental point of view as well, but also will allow for existing uh, houses within that village to join the wastewater network and also, as you said, we, uh, just there as well to allow new houses to be built in the village. So there's there's a lot of benefits for this, not only for new houses, but for the existing residents in the villages as well. Yeah, and when you say it isn't a funding issue, often we'll have discussions like this and it'll go back to we don't have the money, you know, the, the, uh, we're waiting for an allocation of funding. But as you say, the money is there. Absolutely, and Irish Water has been funded by 1.2 billion euro uh, this year in 2023, 2023. And it's important now that the officials in Irish Water get about um, their plans and to make sure they spend money uh, that has been allocated to them. Cork County Council uh, and its executives in the water services are willing to help in any form or fashion to bring these seven projects forward. But we need to meet with the, the representatives from Irish Water to make sure that they, we progress this and push it on. Because otherwise, but you said, we'll be here next year and the year after talking the same thing again, that there hasn't been any update on it. We need to press on now and there needs to be an urgency on these projects. How hopeful are you that they that you'll get that meeting? 
Well, I, I'm hopeful because I think we have the full backing of our executives and I think our executives meet representatives from Irish Water uh, on a monthly basis and I think they're going to push us now to make sure that I suppose this is a particular programme that has been brought in by government, the Small Towns and Villages Grower Programme, that we have a lot of good work happening from Irish Water. We've had a €23 million Euro investment uh, in Mallow and the sewer scheme, you can see that happening in the last number of months uh, yourself when you're in the town of Mallow yourself. We've had a completion of the wastewater treatment plant in Mill Street. There's a lot of good work happening but this small towns and villages grow program is something that hasn't moved we have to get the executive from Irish Water to move this program to make sure I suppose as a county we develop as we go forward. Okay let us know how, how you get on. Matt in Mallow wants to know uh, does John Paul O'Shea know why did they change the name from Irish Water to Ishka Aaron? He's fearful is the change of the name for them once again getting ready for privatisation and they're going to try and make us pay for water again. Surely the cost of the name change would have done some of those schemes schemes. Do you know why they changed the name? Yes, Patricia, like I suppose the Minister published a bill in the summer to separate Irish Water from Borgash. It was a, it was a, subsidi- a subsidiary of um, company of Borgash. So like there is going to be a referendum on, um, I suppose, maintaining Irish Water as a public utility. So I wouldn't be concerned about the change in name uh, per se. It's just separating it from on Bor- um, from on Borgash, which was originally set up as, as part of that. All right, there's nothing sinister in the move. OK, and just very finally, we're getting a number of calls and emails in this morning, um, uh, John Paul, about some people are concerned about modular houses going up in Karakil in Mallow for Ukrainian refugees and you know what's coming through in the commentary is uh, people didn't know about it until workers went in and started digging the site are you aware of that? Yes, I suppose we were made aware of it you know, a couple of weeks ago, Patricia, in relation to, I suppose, the OPW are leading out in modular homes for Ukrainian refugees, and they've asked uh, local authorities to put forward sites uh, in their own particular area that are belong to Cock County Council, um, and a number of sites were put forward, and I think two sites were shortlisted, and I think some uh, test um, operations are happening within um, that site in Mallow, and I think there's another site in West Cork as well. Um, and but I think we have a meeting on Friday, Patricia, about it. But I suppose I would say to to the members of the public that um, you know if modular housing is is completed on the site in Mallow, there will be plenty of consultation prior to this, um, the modular housing being erected uh, in that um, in that site. Um, before I suppose a lot of our Ukrainians will be living there. There's a there's a certain amount of time um, involved in that process. Yes. Okay, yeah, because I th- I think that's the one the one thing it, it, people need to be informed. We've seen that from around the country. From you, the last thing you need is people protesting. Um, people need to be kept informed about what's happening. Oh, absolutely, Patricia. And I think you know, um, the the OPW is responsible for it. And I think the first consultation will be with the elected members, which is which is um, uh, fair. And this is happening on Friday, and I presume after that, the OPW will 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 go into a, a public consultation with the community. Then after. Okay, so people will be kept informed. All right. Okay. Listen, we leave it there. Um, John Paul, thank you for that. Good morning. And, um, uh, good morning to you. That is uh, local Fine Gael uh, councillor John Paul O'Shea, and our own John Paul is telling me that he's hearing that locals this morning are gathering in Carrickeel in Mallow to protest about the works being carried out in the site in Carrickeel. Uh, the works uh, locals believe are for modular homes for Ukrainian refugees. The site due to be a slip road to alleviate the traffic from the area or the site was due to be a slip road to alleviate traffic from the area but that never happened someone else says there was also a running track was meant to be built on uh, the site that also didn't happen happen. but the bulk of the calls that we are getting in from people in the, living in the area particularly living in the housing estates close to where the modular houses will go is that nobody was uh, told but according to John Paul O'Shea before any modular homes go in 
that um, negotiations are going to happen are, and information is going to be given to the local people. But as I say, what we're hearing this morning is nobody found out anything until work site started up on the site in uh, Carrickheel. 0818-103-103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Now, the Irish Self Catering Federation, they represent self catering providers. They're urging the Tourism Minister, Catherine Martin, to halt planned reforms, which they claim could put them out of business. And joining me from the Federation is their chairwoman, and that's uh, Maura Nimo. Uh, good morning, Chimora. Morning, Patricia. You're, How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the programme. Now, the new reforms deal with the registration of short-term t- short-term tourists' lets. Yes. Can you outline what is planned and how you feel it's going to affect the industry? Okay. So, I suppose I should start by saying we've been calling for a register since 2017, and yet here we are giving out about it. Uh, we ask for a register because it would give you details of all the people who are offering short-term rentals. And the government is now looking at this as self-catering, glamping, caravan and camping, boat hire and self-catering on hotel grounds. So they would all come in under the one heading. Um, And they want to quantify that. We have no problem with the register, which is going to be run by Falls Ireland. And in fact, at EU level, we're going to be required by the end of the year to have a register. Our problem is, in the background, they have added details where they're looking for planning permission for everybody who has a short-term rental. And we already have a problem in rent pressure zones where there's no clarity on who can and cannot get planning. So you're fearful that if some of your members, when they go for planning that they won't get the planning, is it? Uh, yeah, you can go for a change of use, but you won't get permission. That's what we've got direct from one planner. The planners themselves have no clear guidelines on what should be done. We've been calling for over a year for the Department of Housing to provide these guidelines, and they haven't been provided. And in fact, today, at the Iraqis uh, Tourism Committee, it is going to be debated with uh, by the committee with Forja Ireland the Department of Tourism and the Department of Housing. And would many of your members be be involved in short-term letting for many, many years? Years, years. I've been doing it myself since 2001. And we would have members going back 30 years. Now, you would could say that anybody who's doing it for more than seven years automatically has planning permission, but that has not been accepted in places like Kerry. And do we know why? No. They're looking at it as part of housing for all rather than as a, a tour, tourism product, which is what we are. So even farmers in Kerry who have diversified, who have opened self-catering on their farms, which is not suitable to long-term accommodation because it's miles from anywhere, and in the middle of their farm, have been turned down for planning permission. So it, it it almost sounds like that they're hoping some of these short-term lets will solve part of our housing crisis. Yes. Which, it, which, as you say, it, 
you know, short term, let's particularly um, is, is, is some of the accommodation, like you're saying, in the, in the middle of a farm sh- or if they're in a very rural area where a yeah. lot of the lets are, they're not going to be suitable for families who perhaps want to have to try to drop their children to school or, you know, it, it just won't work in many cases. No, it's a crazy situation. I'm explaining to somebody in Kerry yesterday that if they got, uh, somebody got a house in Balance Skellig and their kids were in school in Killarney, that's what you're talking about. A distance of an hour and a half drive each way. You not, know, yeah, not going, just simply not going to work. Not, exactly. not, not practical. And no. how many short term lets do we currently have in Ireland? Or is that impossible to even put a figure on? Um, because Falter Ireland stopped taking details of the number of short term lets in 2007, we have no clear details. The Minister for Tourism said there were about 30,000 lets. We have 6,000. Uh, properties on our members uh, but we actually think there'd be about maybe 18 or 20 that would be similar to what's in Scotland And we're talking about many of these holiday lets uh, Maura in rural areas and the knock-on is they provide jobs and they provide money into the local economy They they provide employment in the local economy so for every two self-catering units it's equal to one full-time job in a rural area and the people who stay in short-term rental will spend 33% of their money in the property and the rest of the money in the community with the shops, the restaurants, the cafes, everywhere else in the area. So they're very important to rural Ireland. And have, has your own federation had any interaction with the tourism minister to share your concerns? We have requested a meeting with the minister and we have engaged with the Department of tourism for the last two years on the register, giving them details of best practice across the EU. Yeah, as you're saying, you've got no objection to registering it, no. but it's the it's the red tape they're going to tie in with trying to get everybody to register. Yeah, yeah. And they don't seem to understand how this is going to kill the tourism industry in Ireland. We already have a serious problem with accommodation for 23 because there's so many of the hotel beds and the self-catering in groups already gone to house the refugees. So it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, and and people would yeah, and if particularly overseas visitors trying to to come to Ireland, if the word goes out that there's that there's very little accommodation, it's very bad for the image of the country uh, as well. And and I mentioned earlier when we were talking about the self-catering lets, a lot of Irish people who like to holiday in Ireland, staycationing. Yeah. like to stay, particularly if you've got families because, you know, a self-catering holiday can cut down on costs for if you've got a family wanting to go away. Yeah, we're mostly family orientated. I mean, I know I had a holiday a few years ago up in Ackill before it became famous <laughs> with my own kids. It was great. Yeah. It rained half the time, but we had a fabulous time. Every time it stopped raining, we were out on the beach. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's, it's a very economical way for families to holiday. But the other problem is Tourism Ireland has done a great job at getting people into Ireland. So that we've got, I think it's 115% of the number of seats on flights into Ireland. We've nearly doubled the amount of people coming on ferries into Ireland for this year with a huge ferry from Spain and France. Where are those people going to stay? And you're an industry that got obviously devastated during the pandemic because there was, you know, there was very few people having holidays for a period of time. Did it, did it very much pick back up last year? It picked up in the summer before last. 
when we were allowed to open. Okay. So we were closed for a good bit and then we were open for, I think, from the middle of June until September in the first year. And then last year it picked up quite a bit with the domestic market, not the overseas market. So, for example, in my house, I would usually have people from March until June from overseas. And again, they'll come in the autumn. They didn't appear. But yeah. we were, you know, we were quite busy. And even say this Christmas, a uh, lot of us were very busy. Yeah, people just want. There's that feeling that people want to get away and, and people want to want a holiday. And where is where is your holiday, Letmore? It's down overlooking Dunmanus Bay in West Cork. Ah, oh, beautiful. Dunmanus Bay. Beautiful. Beautiful yeah. spot. Beautiful. Yeah, we love it. And and have you bookings already now for this year for for 2023? Oh, we do. Yeah. We have a small bit of availability in the summer. Uh, we have some spring availability and autumn availability. But the problem is there's going to be a lack of accommodation in self catering because people are so worried about what's coming down the line that they're withdrawing their properties uh, from rental. Yeah, that is that is going to be a problem going forward. Okay, so let's so you so you, there's an Oireachtas committee meeting you say today? At half past one today. Okay. Let's see what comes out of that. In the meantime, Maura, listen, thanks so much for taking time out to talk to us this morning. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. Okay, that cool. is uh, Maura Nimoraku and Maura is chairwoman of the Irish Self-Catering Federation. Still getting calls in on the Public Expenditure Minister, Pascal Donoghue, and uh, he giving his statement into the doll about his election expenses for 2016 and for 2020. One listener says, morning, Patricia, I work in the public sector. If somebody gave me as much as a tin of sweets or a tin of biscuits, we have to hand it up to our bosses. We're not allowed to keep it I didn't know that uh, no doubt they never send them back talk about double standards what uh, so you have to hand them back and then they're meant to be returned to the person is it I, I wasn't aware of that seeming in the public sector not allowed to even get an old tin of biscuits somebody might have handed in to say well done for the work that you are doing and Jim says uh, Patricia I know it's probably a storm in a teacup the whole Pascal Donoghue affair but it seems more like a cock and bull story to me about what he knew and didn't know about Michael Stone, the businessman, putting up the posters for the 2016 election and then he said, oh he didn't do any postering for him in the 2020 election and then he said he couldn't comment on it in the doll last week but he promised he'd make a further statement which he did yesterday and then he said oh I forgot, uh, Michael Stone did postering for B- Pascal in 2020 which is hard to believe and it looks like, my, to Jim, it looks like Michael Stone has taken the blame for Pascal and Michael Stone has even resigned from two board positions he was on Pascal Donoghue now must pay Michael Stone back 240-odd euro back to his company. And I'm wondering if Pascal survives with his political life, will he be paying Michael back more than that for helping him out of this uh, situation? But Sinn Féin at the moment are not looking for a vote of no confidence. And Jim reckons the reason for that is they've had similar issues when it comes to donations made to Mary Lou, uh, either made to Mary Lou personally or was it made to Sinn Féin? Two different stories being told. And then, of course, there was the famous donation that was made by the Sinn Féin councillor, the then Sinn Féin councillor, Jonathan Dowdle, who is currently in court court in relation to the Hutch uh, case. So it's a, a story 
Pascal Donoghue is hoping he's gone away after yesterday, but it looks like there's more to rumble on in this. Thanks for your uh, text, Jim. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Now, as I mentioned earlier when I was chatting with Councillor John paul O'Shea, we've been getting a number of calls and emails and texts in from people in the Karakil area of Mallow who are concerned because diggers moved in to a field in the area. Most people didn't know what was going on and when people started to do a bit of investigation and started ringing local councillors, uh, they've been told that the site up in uh, Karakil has been identified for modular homes. Now, this morning, I mean, I have to say, I, it looks like at very short notice, there seems to be a group of locals from the area are protesting at the site. And uh, Annette uh, is one of those, and she joins me. Good morning to you, Annette. Good morning, are how you, are you? Are you actually at the site this no, morning? I'm not. No, I'm not. I'm heading up there now shortly. Okay, all right. Okay, when uh, you're living uh, in that area, when did, you, when did you become aware that work was starting on this field that nobody knew what was going on. Yeah, we kind of had an inkling about two weeks ago that there was something um, starting to happen up there. Um, And then obviously in the last couple of days, the diggers moved in and um, they started, you know, levelling the site and stuff to get it ready to build on it. And it's close to other housing estates? Oh yeah, it's right beside them. Yeah, it's literally as you're going out of Mallow... um, if you go up beyond Aldi, beyond David's College, and just keep going up that road there, it is literally the last the last of the estates are on your right-hand side, and you have the beaches on the left, and it's just above those. It's, the, it's part of what was the old GAA? It's across the road from there. Across the road from there, all yeah, right. Across, across the, road. the road. Is it council-owned land? I would think so, yeah, I would think so. Okay, and then... But nobody in the area was notified as to what, what was no. happening. No, but, absolutely but not. I know we've been contacted. We got a very wor- uh, wordy email in from one who doesn't want um, her name to be identified, which, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But she said she contacted two local councillors who came straight out and said that yeah. that that site has been uh, been identified for modular homes. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, um, I think only. I'm not not entirely sure now, but I think only one councillor actually did put it up and say, look, this is what's happening and it, it is going to be used for modular homes. Um, and that was only yesterday, I believe. So um, we're only, you know, gotten confirmation of it yesterday. And then I so. did I did ask, because as I say, we only started getting calls in about it this morning. I did ask mm-hmm. Councillor Jean-Paul O'Shea. Uh, he said he's aware of it. He mm-hmm. said there's still a meeting. He said the site was identified and he said there's a site in West Cork was identified as well mm-hmm. for modular mm-hmm. homes. Uh, but that uh, the ink isn't dry yet because he said there's still to be a meeting on this Friday and then yes. there'll be public consultation. But that's not really tying in with the fact that work has already no, started. And, and, and that's, we don't believe that at all. Um, we don't believe that public consultation is going to be taken into account in any way, shape or form. This meeting is going ahead um, on Friday morning. The public are not allowed to attend it. It's a private meeting. And um, so we don't believe for a second that they're going to take into account our objections to it. And what, and what what are people's objections to it, Annette? People's objections to it are that, there, there's look, it, it, there's a couple of things, right, but I'll take one or two angles for now. Um, one is that th- this town has already got a massive housing issue. There is hundreds of people on council lists and in private rented accommodation that are on the, are on the list for years, absolutely years, and getting nowhere. 
you know, their needs are not being met. It doesn't matter whether they just need an ordinary three up, you know, or an ordinary council house or whether they have a disability or whatever. The needs are not being met. And so for money to all of a sudden appear to build modular houses is obviously unfair on those who are waiting. Also on top of that, you have schools at bursting point, doctors who barely are able to cope with the amount of people already. It's getting harder and harder to get a doctor's appointment. You could be taking, you could at this stage be waiting nine to ten days to see your GP. And that's unfair because, you know, the GPs are doing their best. But so that's already the case now without adding in however many people they're saying are going to be added in in these modular homes. The schools are barely coping. Our classes are getting bigger, which means our students that are already in there are not getting the attention they deserve. And so therefore will slip through the cracks even more if there's more people added into the classes. Um, so, it's, so it's the services and of course if, the ser- the if, if extra pressure is put on the services everybody suffers everybody suffers exactly and then the other side of it then Trish is we don't know who is going to be put in these modular homes we know we're told it's Ukrainian refugees but when you look across the country at other areas where Ukrainian refugees were meant to be put in it is not Ukrainian refugees it is undocumented migrants and we can see that mixing these migrants is causing serious issues because they're not able to get on with each other. And yet you want to drop them into the middle of a community and expect them to just get on with it and expect the locals to just get on with it. There's a huge fear there about what could possibly happen. There's okay, a but, dangerous but you're saying, element to you're it. saying per se, if it was to be... Ukrainian, you know, women with their children, because predominantly that's what, you know, who's arriving Mm. from uh, Mm -hmm. Ukraine are predominantly uh, women Mm -hmm. and children are elderly people. The grandparents are coming as well. You're saying people wouldn't object to housing Ukrainian refugees. But but, but as you've already outlined, even if you were to take in a couple of hundred Ukrainian mm. refugees are genuine asylum seekers because there's a huge mm-hmm. issue about who's a genuine really asylum yeah, seeker and, and, who, and who's not and people arriving undocumented and mm-hmm. it causes all kinds of fear, fear factors. But even allowing huge. for that, you're saying the, the services aren't there, the infrastructure isn't there. No, it's, yeah. it's, it, that's just it. The infrastructure isn't there. Yeah. Look, it's like they've, they've literally just pinpointed this site and said, right, OK, we can put however many people in there and there is no thought process put into it in the effect it will have on the locals that are already living here and the effect it will have on our services. And, Do, and that's have you any, not have, fair. Have you, and have you any idea on how many modular homes? No. no, Not a clue. Because we won't be told that, uh, Trish. We're, we're, we're not considered in this at all. You know, it doesn't matter. I'm coming at it from a couple of different angles. I'm on the council list for years, never been given an offer. I also happen to be living right beside where this is happening. And there's hundreds more like me. And the point is, we're not consulted. We're not asked for our input. Um, And as I said, from somebody who's been on the list for years, my point of view is, well, you can find money for all of this. But what about us? We're just going to be left sitting here. And would you you take a modular home, Annette? Sure. It depends on on the quality of it. But I mean, I've seen worse. 
Yeah, I, I, well, I've seen the, the, any of the modular homes I've seen online are, are fantastic and they've about yeah. a 50 year uh, lifespan. Uh, yeah, there well, is some we have so a housing crisis. Yeah, we have a, yeah, we do. We have a housing crisis. We have a services crisis, you know, between the hospitals, the doctors, schools. And, you know, the thing about it is you can't just keep dropping people into an area and expecting the area to absorb everything and everything go on as normal. That's not happening. That's living in cloud cuckoo land. And I hate to pit one group against another group. Of course. Because all of us, you know, I mean, we've been so fantastic in this country on how we've responded to the Ukrainian crisis. And, you know, we look at these people and and they are fleeing for their lives and many of them have left their husbands and their sons behind them. Absolutely. I mean, we've done everything. But but it's when, when you you know, I listen to you say how long you've been on a housing Mm. waiting list. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's not, you know, it's not a case that you don't have sympathy for, for the Ukrainians, but it's like... Not. But what, about, I mean, what about you and your family, well, is what, what you're saying? What about me? Exactly, yeah. this is it. You know, I uh, mean, I'm very lucky. I have a fantastic landlord. But th- I'm one of very few who has a fantastic landlord. And, you know, I mean, I, I can get pretty much anything I want done in this house. But there's other houses that are far from livable, and certainly not with young children. And... You know, and it's 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 very hard to tell that young mother, um, you know, look, these people are coming in and they're taking priority over you because that's what, what's been done. The lack of communication, the lack of public consultation is what is driving people's anger as well. Okay. It's not fair on the locals to expect them to absorb anybody that's coming in. Fine if it's families, but that in itself is going to put huge... Um, pressure on services that are already at breaking point and then that's fine if it is families but we know that the, the services that are the people that are over this sort of thing they're not telling us the truth and the chances are we will end up with undocumented migrants which is a huge safety risk to the people living in the area and the people of the town because we do not know what we're dealing with. Okay, and we st- stay no there because Finbar's, fin- coming. Finbar's in Goulds Hill and uh, also is not happy about this. Good morning, Finbar. Hello, Patricia. How no, are you? I'm, I'm very well. Where are you going? You've heard it's 34 modular homes. 34 modular homes to be built above there, Patricia. But my point about it is, as Anishman has been saying, right, there's people on the housing list for years and years, never had an offer. I was talking to a woman last night, right? She has four children. Married couple, never had an offer from the council, right? Another woman, her husband has a disability, 13 years, married couple, never had an offer. And yet it's the same. You know, like, what what the government and local authorities alone know, they're dividing society, they're causing friction among people, right? Yeah. It is totally and totally wrong, okay? Like, I'm not racist, Patricia, I, and I'm far from it, you know? But what I'm saying to you is, right, like, you have to take Irish people at at their face value as well. Like, these people, us Irish people, have been on the housing list for years. 16 years I was on the housing list. 16 years, Patricia, before I got an offer. Like, I went to the council, right, Yeah. when I was 11 years on the list to find out my file had been archived put away because I was so long on the list. And that's what's happening. Like, mm. it is not right. 
And like yeah. the and I, and I, all these I can people, see, they should stop this. Yeah, and I, yeah, but how do they stop it? We have, we no, have it, an international and a moral obligation to house the Ukrainian when refugees. When I hear this, we have an, we, why do we have always have to be the good boys in the class? In mm. all fairness, like, like every time, every time there's something, oh, Ireland will do this, Ireland will do that. Like there's other countries there as well. Yeah, but, like but the other countries, Finbar, the other countries are taking them in. If you look at the figures, we actually have a much lower number than, say, the likes of Poland. Poland have taken in because they're nearest to obviously. But Ukraine. per population, Patricia, we have we have more than done enough. Enough. Per oh. population, we've more than done enough. Our our health system is in crisis. Everything is in crisis. Like it has to, yeah. something has to stop somewhere. Okay, loads of people are and making the same the point. Thing, what what about thing, our own is homes? That, yeah. Is that, is, you know, it's not fair on the likes of Finbar and myself and the other people uh, who set up with the, the protest and set up the group on Facebook. It's not fair that we are put in this position where we have to be the ones standing and saying, no, enough is enough. Our government are supposed to protect us. We are the citizens. And but okay, yet somebody, we're the ones that are being dumped on effectively, and that's how it feels. Somebody in it is calling you out for your nimbyism, typical, not in my backyard. You can put it anywhere else, but don't put it near me. I never said that, so whoever that is is totally incorrect. Um, I don't well, have see, a problem with the refugees. Get, but I know if I'm sure we know we're, we, we're well used to it, yeah. Well, look, I'm not racist. I'm not racist. And, and, and no one, and no and one is accusing, no one is accusing, no, but, like. but no one is accusing anyone of being a racist. I mean, you, there, was, there isn't one word out of either of you that could could be accused of no. being racist. But, but I think people... But this is what I want to get, Patricia, but it's totally, totally wrong. Like, people, yeah. like, the, I, I, there's numerous people that could tell you stories how long they've been on the housing list. Yeah, but it, it all and goes like back to the housing money, crisis. Like, we were told a couple of years ago, right, that there was no money for people, right, that uh, are on the housing list, right? They were put into emergency accommodation, women and children, living in hotels, okay? Mm. And they yeah. still haven't been housed. Well, with no. 11,500 people living yeah. in emergency accommodation. All right, uh, listen, we're not going to solve it here. Not and we, we, have to wait, we have to wait until Friday to see what happens at this meeting and what comes out of that. But the message very much coming from, from both Annette and, and you, Fimber, and, and indeed others that, that are there this morning, is at least talk to us. Tell us what's yeah. happening. Okay. Consult us and let, let us be a part of it in a sense, but let us feel like that we're actually going to be listened to and we're not just going to be passed off with just lip service. Okay, and someone has suggested, Annette, that you should consider running for council. (laughs) <laughs> no thanks okay alright listen thanks to you both thanks, thanks to you both um, uh, Annette and uh, to Fimber uh, both living in the area where uh, there's a proposal for modular homes for Ukrainians and uh, they along with others uh, are not happy about it okay and John Paul as we were sending a report to the protest uh, this morning so we'll see if we get any more from that uh, we'll bring it to you 0818 103 103 uh, John Paul taking your call C103 Jobs a receptionist is wanted for Jimmy Barry Motors. They're based in Bantry. Full or part-time hours um, c- could be considered 87 Qualified electrician with commercial and domestic experience is wanted for Cork City and County 87 
2652953. An industrial electrician is wanted for shift maintenance in the Commons Road area of Mallow. CVs please to jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. And a qualified motor technician is required for a busy Renault a dealership in Charleville. CVs please to Fergus at dearparkmotors.ie. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. The fishing boat owners who have applied to join the decommissioning scheme are now going back to the government saying they want more money. They're saying the offers most have received are actually an insult. Patrick Murphy is with the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. And Patrick once again joins me on this topic. Uh, good morning to you, Patrick. Good morning, and, uh, and you, are you Firstly, do you know how many fishers have uh, applied to decommission their boats and are any of them happy with the offer that's been made? Well, just to explain this, Patricia, this is a forced exit out of our fishing industry. This is like no other scheme before. We lost our fish to a political decision. Before it was due to overfishing and there was too much capacity in the fleet and there wasn't enough fish for our fishermen to make a living. This time, our fish was taken away from us without our permission and given to another country who is now outside of the EU. And our fishermen do not have enough to survive. And the solution our government and the European Union was to give us money, I call it blood money, to force these people to leave the industry and the fish they don't catch will be given to the other boats and top them up to allow them to continue. But yet the, yet the minister and the department will say that the decommissioning scheme is wholly voluntary. Now, if somebody gave you a choice to jump off a ledge or they're going to blow your brains out <sighs> and you thought that landing on the ground might save your life, but the bullet would definitely kill you then you jump off the ledge. You're you're, you're claiming that many fishermen have no choice. No choice whatsoever. And the reason being is that these boats cannot pay the bills to stay operating, pay their crews, pay the required legal requirements to keep their boats up to code of practice. People have to understand that fishing is a very expensive industry to get in. And before you leave, you're in debt because you have to pay for fuel and grub and um, electrics, con- uh, connectivity to the web and the internet that's required to keep yourself legal, to send in information into the powers that be, to know where you are at all times and to know where you're catching. There is so many legal requirements. It costs a fortune to go okay, fishing. So, and so ha- just ha- ha- enough there. How many boats have decided they just can't make money out of fishing? We've got to get out. How many have applied for decommissioning? 64 boats applied, but we didn't say the boats couldn't apply for fishing. We were told by BIM, who did the analysis of what fish we had as a country, and they told us how many boats in the different segments would have to leave the fishing industry to allow the rest to survive. So then they put out a call to all the boats and they said, listen, anybody that's wishing to avail of this, right, away you go. So people put in for this because they just couldn't survive. They couldn't have crews. It would cost them hundreds of thousands to do up their boats. 
And these people, Patricia, people have to understand this, have invested millions in their businesses over the years. And unlike other businesses, that, that accrues more wealth. This is money that is spent on the boats to upkeep them, to keep them modernised. So even though the boat costs two million, in its lifetime, you might spend two or three more million on it to keep it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Maintained, but they lose that money. That's the penalty for making their living to just to continue to catch fish. So okay. they never get that back. Okay, so, what, but what criteria has been used to make the offer to the fish? The criteria, I believe, is flawed, and I'll explain why, and very simply. There's two ways that they want to decommission boats. One is to give money for boats that never fished, right? That are off the register would still have an entitlement. They're getting 2,800 per GT, 899 euros or 95 for kilowatts, and that's around 3,700 per GT, whereas they're giving 3,600 to a boat that's fishing. What happens with a boat that decommissions is you get nothing for your boat because you have to decommission it, even though it's worth a million euros, you'll only get 15 or 20,000 for scrap. Whereas if you were allowed to sell that, and you weren't fishing, you'd get a couple of hundred thousand up to a million for it. Could you so not? You could you? Could they not? Are they not allowed to sell it on to, say, another country who has fishing rights? Wouldn't that be fantastic? So you're no, saying they've got to? Not. They have to scrap the boats. Yeah, and they say it's down to revenue. That revenue told them they couldn't do it. That's so not great for the environment, is it? It actually is in breach of their own policies of recycling and renewal that they signed up to between 22 and 2023. Now, I saw the Agriculture Minister, Charlie uh, McConnellogue, saying he added an extra 15 million to the scheme and it's capped now, I think it's at 60, 60 million. It's, it's, so is it, a, is it kind of a take it or leave it where you're not going to get any more? 
Yes, it is. And this is the problem that we've told them from the start that the scheme wasn't fit for purpose. Now, let's, let's be honest about this. The scheme was £96 million. That's what we put forward to the minister, to Europe, £96 million. They decided they needed a value-for-money scheme, which would screw fishermen, and they wouldn't get their proper money and be good boys in Europe. Even though Europe gave them £1.2 it's only 6% of the money they gave us to solve this problem. So he's been totally disingenuous in what he's saying here. He went back for another £15 million. He has £400 million to spend. He doesn't have to ask the European Union for a cent. They've already given him £1.2 billion. So he has that money. It's up to him and how he spends it. The only thing he had to go back to Europe for was for state aid rules to say, well, can I spend this money? And they've said, of course you can, because this is the plan you put forward in the first place. If these boats don't take this, we're in a worse mess. Because yeah. there's not enough fish, fish. for those yeah, that are yeah. here. And, and, and this payment for the for the fishermen and women who decide to decommission, this payment is either to set somebody up and say a new career or if they're older fishers, I'm assuming it's their uh, retirement fund. But you're saying debts have to be paid off as well. So it doesn't leave them with a lot. I'm going to tell you a true story now. And this is the truth that people have to understand. These fishermen use the money that they've earned to keep their boats operating over the years. So they've built up debts. And, and, and here's one family story. Because they're not being evaluated properly, they're being underpaid 300000 And as such, the banks have told them, the minute they get the first payment, you can bring that to us. That means those people, after 70 years working in the industry, can't pay them the legally required redundancy money to themselves for leaving the industry. They have no money. And that's only one of many cases. This is an absolute disgrace. I would call this the black and tens have returned to our shoreline, but instead they aren't from the UK, they're from here. I'm so cross, Patricia, what's happening to our industry. I'm going to tell you the second evil element of this. We have a vessel that was boarded by an Esca vessel bought by the Dutch, came from Portugal into Irish waters, were on board an Irish vessel, passed all the other boats for five hours yesterday. When that boat was finished being inspected by those and an SFPA officer on the, boat, on the boat, they came in to land their fish and three more fishery officers were waiting for them inside. They inspected them. They left. They came, one of them came back down for the third inspection on the same boat. Now, if that isn't intimidation and a terrorism to try and well, force our boats out of their own yeah, industry, yeah, what is? And that happened last night. They'll say, Patrick, you know, that they'll say, they'll say that they um, are, are doing your job. But the bigger picture here is that for the entire fishing fleet, uh, if they want to remain, as the, this 64 have to decommission so that the other fishermen can make a living. Exactly. And there's more applied than the 64. 64 people were the ones that applied. Only 57 are eligible. So what happens to the other um, seven boats? How are they going to... What are they going to do? It's, it's apt. This scheme was designed on past principles. And the past principles do not apply here. This was a case where a political decision where our fish were taken off our countrymen and our countrywomen and given to a foreign state and left us without enough to make a living. Europe came in, gave us blood money to pay this portion of our fleet to leave the industry because their evaluation was there's not enough left for you now to survive. Okay. These people are making a sacrifice, Patricia, 
to leave the industry. And all we're asking for is a proper fair scheme from the outset that we said we would sit down and work with you and they ignored us. They okay. undervalued the boat. All right. We, well, all right. We're, we're, listen, we're, we're not, it's one of these issues we're not going to solve here. We will come back to it again, though, because this has got a long way to go yet. Uh, but, Patrick, in the meantime, thank you for that. And uh, thanks uh, for joining us on the programme and a lot of people having sympathy for the, everybody involved in our fishing industry. That is Patrick Murphy of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation. 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862. 103 103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. News this week that banking app Revolut is to give Irish account holders an Irish IBAN. It's going to put the cat among the pigeons with other banks. That's according to Dara Cassidy of Bonkers.ie, who joins me this morning to explain why. Good morning to you, Dara. Good morning, Patricia. And you're, you're very welcome. Now, just to explain to people, up to now, how have Irish Revolut accounts worked when it comes to IBANs? Well, f- several years ago, users would have had actually a British IBAN, but then after Brexit, that changed to a Lithuanian IBAN. Now, technically, that shouldn't have made any type of difference, Patricia, because under what's called SIFA rules, uh, whether you have a Lithuanian IBAN, a German IBAN, or an Irish IBAN, you should be able to use your accounts within Europe or within the SIFA region easily and the same way you could use an Irish account. But that wasn't the case. And users of Revolut, indeed anyone who had a non-Irish IBAN, often found here that doing their day-to-day banking was a little bit difficult uh, because if they were trying to get paid into their bank account or they were trying to set up direct debits and standing orders, quite often maybe social welfare wouldn't recognise the number, the employer wouldn't recognise the number, the utility provider wouldn't recognise the number, and it just became really, really cumbersome. So it was kind of a barrier to people using Revolut as their main day-to-day bank account. But now that really is changing because people will have an Irish bank account number which for some people will mean that Revolut will finally be a viable alternative to the main banks, such as Permanent GSB, AIB and Bank of Ireland. So it's good news for competition. So, so you reckon this could be a real game changer? I do, because I think up until now, and lots of your listeners will have Revolut and they'll use it, uh, but they probably only used it to maybe send money, uh, but it's really, really quick and really, really easy, or maybe they may have used it when they went abroad because there's really, really good foreign exchange fees. But just having that Lithuanian IBAN, even though it shouldn't have made a difference, it just would have put people off using it. And I myself, you know, hand in my heart, if people were recommending or asking me to recommend a good current account, I could never really recommend Revolut fully because I knew that there was this issue of IBAN discrimination. But now that's going to change. And for a lot of people, particularly those maybe who are under the age of 30, and for a whole generation of kids who are growing up, I think they'll now use an account like Revolut, whereas beforehand, maybe Maybe they wouldn't. And it's going to have to, I suppose, force the other banks to up their game. And previously, a lot of people, and this is probably the same for a lot of your listeners, Patricia, they would have had a Revolut account in conjunction with their AIB yeah. account or TSB account. Now I think some people might say, Do you know what, I'm actually going to close the, I, the AIB account, I'm going to close the permanent TSB account. And that kind of put fear into the main Irish banks. And do many Irish people have a Revolut account or do we have accurate figures on that? 
we do. Like, according to Revolut, over 2 million Ooh. people in Ireland have an account, which is absolutely insane. Like, almost the entire adult population has a Revolut account. Some people will obviously use it far more regularly than others. Um, and for probably a small minority still, they'd use it as their main day-to-day account. But they have over 2 million registered users. The Irish market is one of its biggest markets in the world. It's really, really taken off here. I mean, it, it's even become a verb in Ireland. We'll say, I'll revolution that, <laughs> and I'll revolution this, which really is testament to how popular it is. Why has it become so popular? Because it is, it's a good service in my opinion. It has a great app. It allows you to do your day-to-day banking quickly and easily. There aren't any fees. Um, it's a really, really good all-round product. But also, it was in a market that was poorly served. So Revolut is also in the UK, and they're doing okay, but they're doing nowhere nearly as well as they are in Ireland. And that's not surprising because the UK has a better banking sector and has a bigger banking sector. There's more competition, and some of the main banks in the UK are actually quite nifty and they have good online services. That wasn't the case in Ireland. I mean, for a while, it took ages for the Irish banks to have something as simple as Apple Pay. Um, it took ages to have the feature where you could just freeze and unfreeze your card within the app in case you lose it. Um, all these things that you'd expect from a bank account weren't available by the from the Irish. Um, main banks for a long time so when Revolut came in they were just so different and they were just so innovative from an Irish banking point of view that I think a lot of people flocked to them um, and then of course they make it really really easy to send and receive money which is I think what most people still use Revolut for but I do think now with this IBAN change over the next few months more people not everyone but definitely more people are going to look at an account like Revolut and say do you know what I can actually use that for most of my day to day banking needs but it's not a perfect account Patricia there are pros and cons yeah yeah talk to me about the downside because obviously it is a it's a wholly online bank you don't there's no physical building that you can go into no, so some of your listeners might say, even if you're with one of the main Irish banks, sometimes it's tough to get into a bank uh, branch these that days. That is true, that is true. Um, but there's probably three issues. The first issue is that there's no overdraft facility yet. Um, now, some people may have overdraft, some people may not. For some people, that may not be an issue, but there's no overdraft yet. The second issue is that particularly if you have the basic account or the free account, if you could call it that, they it can charge quite heavily for taking out cash. Now, I hate cash. I never have cash on me. I love the fact that we now all use our cards and our phones way more than before. But I understand that that's not the case for everyone. So if you're the type of person who likes taking out 30 or 40 euro every day or so or every few days, this is not the account for you. The other issue, and you've kind of touched on it, there are no bank branches, but you do hear as well issues of people getting locked out of their account. And the reason they get locked out of their account, it's a very, very small number, but when it happens, it's obviously quite a big deal. It's usually for suspected money laundering or fraud reasons. And Revolut uses a lot of AI and computers to make decisions, whereas the Irish banks would have a more personal touch. And what happens is that people then get mistakenly locked out of their account. And with anti-money laundering legislation, you can get huge fines if you don't enforce it properly. And under the legislation, it is illegal for you to tip off someone if they're a suspect. So the problem is that people get locked out of their accounts. They then, A, can't go into a branch to talk about it. And then, B, if they ring up Revolut, Revolut isn't allowed to talk to them about it, really, or even tell uh-huh. them why their account has been locked out. Now, it is a very, very small issue. Yeah. But you do, you know, sometimes I'd be online, Patricia, I'd be on Twitter, and you see people complaining that they've been 
in lockdown either account you'd be kind of think god you know I wouldn't want to be that person but um, that'll improve I think as well over the coming months and years as their systems get better but it's just kind of something to flag Okay and a number of people are asking who are Revolut account holders uh, what do they have to do in order to get the Irish IBAN a lot of people welcoming it because they've come up against problems because of that Lithuanian IBAN Good question. So they don't need to do anything. It'll be automatic over the next two months. You can technically opt out if you want to, but I can't imagine why somebody would. And um, you don't need to do anything. You'll be emailed by Revolut and you'll receive a notification in the app over the coming two months when the change has taken place. Then for the next two months, another two months, both your Lithuanian number and your Irish number will work hand in hand, which is kind of nifty. And then after that, the Lithuanian number will obviously no longer work. The point, though, to highlight is that if you are someone who has used Revolut to get paid, uh, to set up a direct debit or a standing order, you will have to notify all those people of your new account details because Revolut or your employer isn't going to do that for you. Now, I don't think there's a huge number of those people, but there probably are a few. I mean, some people would have left Ulster Bank and KBC over the past few months, and they maybe would have moved fully to Revolut. If you're one of those people, you know, you're going to have to update your employer, Electric Ireland, Board Gosh, your mortgage provider, you know, any bill that comes out of your revolution account, you're going to have to update that person. Um, so that is going to take a little bit of time and effort, but I think it'll be worth it in the end, but that, that's a big thing to flag. To okay, but it is it is a good news story and seeing as you have mentioned uh, mortgages, uh, and I was going to ask Dara about it, but I can see a couple of texts coming in on it about Bank of Ireland's uh, decision yesterday announcing it's raising its uh, lending rates. Was, was that expected? Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm surprised they actually took so long, to be honest. To put things into perspective, since July, the ECB has raised rates from 0% to 2.5%. Now, they are almost guaranteed to increase rates again to 3% this day next week. So they've increased rates, or they will, by 3 percentage points. And to put things into perspective, Bank of Ireland and indeed AIB and Permanent TSB have all only increased their fixed rates by 1 percentage points. So it's literally guaranteed like I said that the ECB is going to move again it is almost a guarantee that all the main banks are going to continue to hike their rates over the coming few weeks unfortunately so if you're a tracker customer not great Uh, if you're a variable rate customer you're probably on a high rate to begin with so it may not affect you yet because the banks have been slow to pass the lawn but if you're a first time buyer who's hoping to get on the property ladder it is a little bit tough because rates are going up and that move by um, Bank of Ireland for example Patricia that would add around maybe hundred euro to the average first-time buyer mortgage so it's not an insignificant amount of money okay and Patrick wants to know why we're seeing mortgage interest rates going up uh, are we seeing interest rates going up on any money we might have on deposit in the banks we should eventually but the banks have been slow as I said to pass on the interest rate increase to mortgage customers but they're doing that at the expense of deposit customers the banks are awash with deposits at the moment they don't need any more Patricia um, they won't really admit that but literally they want to be able to lend money not take it because you know they, they make their money on lending um, not the other way around um, but Bank of Ireland did increase its interest rate slightly on its regular saver deposit accounts by 0.5 percent but it's still only 0.75 percent so if you think you know inflation is still running at around eight or nine percent you still can't get one percent of your savings so so it's not a huge amount but they are 
beginning to move, but only a small amount. Um, but for a while, you know, in Ireland, we had among the highest mortgage rates in the Eurozone and the lowest savings rates that we had the absolute worst of both worlds. That's flipped now. We still have really low savings rates, but we have much more competitive mortgage rates. So, you know, th- th- there's been winners and losers. But um, yeah, deposit rates are going to go up slowly, but probably not by as much as people might hope. Yeah, you're not you're not going to be having a Caribbean holiday on your inter- interest <laughs> no, rate for sure. Not. Listen, it's a pleasure as always, Dara. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining you're us. You're welcome. Good morning to you. Thanks that is uh, Dara Cassidy. Fantastic website by uh, by the way, uh, Bonkers.ie. Well worth uh, checking it out. You're listening to Cork today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We spoke about Revolut in the last hour. Catherine was on to say, Patricia, I use Revolut. It's great. I've just set up an account for my 13-year-old son and it is extremely safe. The Revolut card is a different colour to the adult one. So therefore, whenever he presents it, everybody knows he's under the age of uh, 18. It's linked to my account so I can see where he's spending money. And I actually get a text message to say that he has used the, he's used the Revolut card and that he's spending money. And it's a much safer way than giving young people money when they're going out. They can have the money on their Revolut card and they can go off and do their, their bit of shopping. It's much safer than them carrying cash. Uh, thanks. That, that's some Catherine. And that probably explains why there's two million accounts in this country because that would make out that every single adult, even though la- everyone I know seems to have a Revolut account, but a lot of parents are doing it for children because it's just safer. They don't like the idea of their children going around with uh, cash. Thank you for that, um, uh, Catherine. Now, I want to go to the phone lines because Noreen joined me from Ballyhadreen, which is between Ballycotton and Churchtown in East Cork. Um, good afternoon to you, Noreen. Good afternoon. Now, tell me what happened to you. You were out for a walk. Was did, th- th- This was this morning, was it? Yeah, just a, just a while ago. Okay, you were out for a walk near, near your home and tell us what happened. And I was walking up towards my home and a pigeon started to walk beside me. And I stopped to talk to a neighbour and he stopped. So I went down again. I took a photograph of him. And I went down again, not too far, turned in my own gate, and he walked in with me. Then he took to the top of the roof, and he moved again. And when I went around my back door, he landed on my head, and he was furious, furious. Now, and he pulled at my hair and everything, right? Yeah. I shouted for my grandson, and, and he came back again. He did the very same thing, came on my head, and I shouted my grandson, who came up. He was after getting an impact with him to it out yesterday. He nearly passed out because he didn't know why I was screaming. Yeah? Yeah. Once I got in my back door and pulled it in after me as quick as I could, he was on the handle and he trying to, I don't know, he couldn't open it. No way he could open it, but he was trying and trying. And I don't know. And I'm I'm still shook, actually, to tell you the truth. And, and, And where is the pigeon now? The pigeon... Until about five minutes ago, he was looking in the window, looking straight in at me while I was in the kitchen, of course. And you didn't have a hat on or anything? No, I actually had no, I had no hat. No, you had 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 nothing in your hair that would look like food or that? No, 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 I had no no. hat because I'd taken it off from a floor because it's a lovely day. No, I can't understand it. I have never heard of somebody being attacked by a pigeon. Down on top of my head and pulled, and, and and he was like he was furious. He walked up lovely, and I said, I even took a photograph, and I was talking to him. I was, you know, he didn't know I was talking to him. Of course, I know, I know, I know. 
God, it's bizarre, isn't it? It is bizarre. I'm afraid to go out for a shovel of coal. <laughs> put, a, put a hood on or a hat on or something. Because, I mean, I've heard of seagulls. Now, seagulls will do it if you've got any kind of food or they think you've got any kind of food and they'll swoop down and they can be quite vicious. But but let's put it out there and see, has anybody else ever been attacked yeah. by... And why would he get into such a, a rage all of a sudden? Yeah, all of a sudden. All of a sudden, and that is just, that, that's the way it happens. That's the reason I yeah. explained yeah. was to know that it happened to anybody else. Okay. Well, and, and, and you, which, did you, you got a bit of a fright, obviously. Oh, I got my fright. With, my, it took my heart to beat, I said, was way up there, or way, whichever way it goes. And was he, like, clawing onto your head almost? He was furious, I tell you. Just, you know, like a bit, his wings were going, and he was furious. That's what it sounded like. And then he was on the handle of the door. Trying to get in. I mean, he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't done. That's for sure. No, and he was looking up at the window here, and that was closed. So you reckon he'd 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 come in after you? Well, he was. I'd say it must have been what he was thinking. Okay, an angry pigeon. Does anybody yeah. know why an angry pigeon is attacking our poor Noreen? Listen, make, make yourself a cup of tea and sit down and get I, get somebody else to go out for the for the bit of coal for you. Keep yourself warm as well. All right, listen, thank you for that. Thanks, right. mind yourself. God. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. As I say, I've heard, I've, I've certainly heard and I've seen seagulls attack. Has anybody ever been attacked by a pigeon before? Or would anyone have any explanation as to why the pigeon, you know, pottering down the road with Nori and everything seemed fine and then all of a sudden would launch down on top of her going to make you half afraid of pigeons wouldn't it 0818 103 103 if anyone can help us with that one please um, couple of uh, texts uh, still coming in about uh, refugees and our chat earlier on with the net and with uh, Fimber and uh, that people in the Karakila area of Mallow not happy about the news that it looks like modular homes have been put into a site and it's going to house Ukrainian refugees. Eileen says, Patricia mentioned that we have a moral obligation to take in asylum seekers. Uh, but, says Eileen, we have an obligation to our own Irish people. First, can anybody ask why we are not putting a cap on the numbers we bring into this country, especially when health and housing are all so full? And Tom also says, Patricia, how dare you come on the radio and say we've an obligation to take Ukrainian people and undocumented asylum seekers who is the obligation to take care of the Irish people. When I'm talking about obligations, I'm talking about under our EU obligations. We're part of the EU and we sign up to the Refugee uh, Convention and that's what I'm talking about when, when I talk about our obligations. And I do think when people are fleeing war and fleeing for their lives, I do also think there is a moral obligation. But that I'm not in any way taking away from the number of Irish people that are homeless in this country. And unfortunately, that's what is now happening in this country. And nobody wants to see that happening, but it is happening. And you could hear it in both Finbar and Dinesh who were talking to us. I mean, both were at pains to point out that they're not being racist, but both of them are on housing lists for countless numbers of years. And it's really gut-wrenching for somebody who's on a housing list uh, to watch people who are at the end of the day I know they're fleeing for their lives and they're coming into this uh, country and they're getting housing and they're getting housing ahead of Irish people I can 100% understand that and you add to that the people the 11 and a half is it at 11 and a half thousand roughly are what are deemed homeless people in this country they are people who are well they're not all out on the streets they are the homeless people who are living in hotels and B&Bs and families trying to raise children inside in hotels and B&Bs and you can imagine how 
frustrating it is for, for those people who are waiting for accommodation to see modular houses going up and they've, um, they, they've been given to refugees and that's not in any way as I say being racist and it's not in any way uh, taking away from the Ukrainians who need to be uh, looked after but when I talk about obligations I'm talking about uh, there is a legal obligation on this country but there's, there, there is I still stand over there is a moral obligation uh, as well but if I had my way and I could wave a magic wand I would Tom I would have everybody housed uh, particularly all of the Irish people who desperately desperately need accommodation and Heidi then is worried about what's happening in this country with the amount of refugees that are arriving just look at what's going on in the UK they have no say to, in anything to do with all of the illegal migrants who are crossing into the UK it'll be the same here the people that are indigenous have to come first and the government needs to respond and that does seem to be I think with everybody who's talking about you know the situation with the modular houses it's it's now in Mallow and actually John Paul O'Shea said this meant to be somewhere in West Cork as well I haven't heard where in West Cork the problem is that when you have people in that area who are desperately waiting on housing it's you know you can understand where the anger comes from and nobody wants to see protests outside immigrant uh, centres etc and unfortunately that's exactly what's happening uh, in this country 0818 103 103 Hi Patricia there are an estimated 3.3 billion people in the world living in poorer conditions than us a lot of these people will be pushing to move to Europe the pressure on our borders is going to increase like we've never seen before and it's going to happen in the very near future. Sooner or later, we will have to make a decision on the numbers we are able to assimilate into our society every year. We will never be able to house the world. People should have a say on such an important issue. Changing the demographics of the Irish society without asking its citizens first is a recipe for disaster. But nobody seems to be listening. And that's from uh, Fred Yeah, and other countries have managed to assimilate migrant workers and economic workers who come in and they they do it very well. But if there's a sudden flood of people, and I think as Annette pointed out, if the services aren't there, if you don't have enough GPs to look after the people that are coming into the area, if you don't have enough school places to allow for the children that are coming into the area to get into their schools... um, it has a knock-on effect on everybody in uh, society for sure thank you for your uh, text uh, Fred and then on some other issues when we're talking about homelessness somebody said it's all down to greedy landlords and landladies pretending to be selling their properties and putting their long-term tenants out on the street and then overcrowding their properties uh, with people we don't know at all that's what it's all about it's all about greed says a uh, listener on the fishing industry that we spoke about and how the fishermen are just unhappy the ones that are going for decommissioning they're not happy with the offer that is on uh, the table somebody said the if the fishing men and women the fishers are going to have to do what everybody else is doing on the jobs market they have to realize that there's no longer a thing as a job for life maybe some of those fishing men and women could reach retrain to get involved in the erection and maintenance of offshore wind turbines 
Hi Patricia, this is from Dan with all of the problems in health and housing. I think it was absolutely absurd to watch what went on in the doll yesterday with regard to Pascal Donoghue over a mistake in recording returns of 1,400 or whatever the amount was. Pascal Donoghue is one of our better politicians within the government whom we really can't afford to lose. I am not political, but there are a lot more wasters in there that we could do without. And many of them are on huge salaries. And that is from uh, Dan. 0818103103. Mary is wondering, um, um, poor Noreen with the pigeon, could that have been a lost homing pigeon? But would, would, now I need somebody who's into homing pigeons, would a lost homing pigeon react in that way? I mean, it was furious the way Noreen described it. It sounded like uh, something out of, remember that old movie, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, that old black and white movie where the birds were attacking everyone. It sounded like a scene out of that, except there was only one pigeon. But he seemed, he or she seemed absolutely furious. And it was on, on Noreen's head that he was uh, attacking. So it wasn't that he thought she had some, you know, I thought if she had food in her hand, he was swooping down to try and get the food. But it wasn't. And I don't know if a homing pigeon, a lost, would a lost homing pigeon they're highly trained. Would they react like that? Anyone who has got homing pigeons, let us know, please. John Paul is taking your calls. Phone lines are busy, by the way. So don't forget, you can always text and WhatsApp to 86 103. You can also leave a voice message on uh, WhatsApp as well. Same number, 86 103. And of course, email the programme Cork Today at c103.ie. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. The Mallow Community Health Project is looking for volunteers to help Syrian families to integrate into the Mallow community and to help improve their conversational English. For more information, you can contact the Syrian Befriending Programme Coordinator, that's Pauline, on 87 433-5047. A bunch of keys was found yesterday afternoon on the Karakil Road, now up past Ma- Aldi in Mallow. It contained a Kia car key along with a house, uh, house keys and other keys. Uh, they've been handed into Mallow Garda Station if they think they're yours. 022-31450. And a dark brown leather duffel bag was mislaid somewhere in Mallow Town on Saturday, the 14th of January. Now, it contains sentimental items belonging to the listener's dad, oh, who has since passed away. Anyone has any information? Did anybody spot a brown leather duffel bag or knows where it might be? Can you call 87 244 2140 And Duke of will be holding their first lecture of 2023 on tomorrow, Thursday, 8 o'clock in the local GAA pavilion. Brian O'Donovan, RT's former Washington correspondent, will give an illustrated talk entitled Divided States of America, My Four Years in Washington. Admission five euro on the night. Brian, whose father Jim, of course, was a native of Ardfield, will recall some of the issues he reported on uh, during a tumultuous time for the United States. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. 
Chemist Warehouse is Ireland's discount chemist where you can save, save, save. But now thanks to our success and expansion, it's a place where you can grow, grow, grow. We're opening in Balancolic soon and have various roles available, including pharmacists, OTC assistants, retail managers and retail staff with flexible hours and competitive rates of pay. Apply today. Visit chemistwarehouse.ie. Glentree Furniture, the January sale. Glentree Furniture's big January sale is on now. The January sale. Prices are slashed on everything from sofas, chairs, carpet and flooring to sliding wardrobes, beds, mattresses, tables and chairs. The January sale. There's all the big names, including Stressless, Violino, Sherborne, Respa, Natural Sleep and much, much more. The January sale. It's on now. The big January sale. Only at Glentree Furniture, Dunmanway. Glentree Furniture, the January sale. Don't miss it. Hi, Kieran here from the Hibernian Hotel and Leisure Centre in Mallow. If you're looking for a beautiful venue to celebrate your beautiful wedding, come talk to us about our refurbished ballroom. We have a dedicated wedding coordinator to ensure your day is perfect and all your needs are looked after. Come meet with us today to look around, view our packages and discuss your day that dreams are made of. We look forward to welcoming you to the heart of Mallow. Visit hibernianhotelmallow.com Thinking of upgrading your car? Think E-Tarrant & Sons. Order your new 231 Skoda or choose from a huge range of quality used cars in stock. Eamon Tarrant & Sons, the number one choice for Skoda in Cork. Offering a long and proud tradition of excellent customer care. Finance packages can be arranged. So come test drive your new 231 car at Eamon Tarrant & Sons in Bantir today. Or see etarrant.ie. E-Tarrant & Sons, your local Skoda dealer. I'm the number one. Go. The best football league in the world is right here. Comes up to the Premier League Live, powered by Talk Sport. Join me, Trevor Welch, exclusively online at c103.ie. I'm a winner, want the gold, not the silver, oh. Saturdays, I'll bring you live commentary from the biggest games. We'll go behind the scenes to get the best pre-match analysis. And we'll have our own exclusive interviews. Number one, go. Energy. The Premier League Live with Harvey Norman, your home of the big screen. Energy. Listen every Saturday, exclusively online at c103.ie or Download the C103 app. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. And I can see a lot of people having sympathy for Noreen uh, with what happened with the attack by the uh, pigeon. And I'm really surprised by it. Billy and Mallow was on then and saying uh, more than likely it wasn't a pigeon. Could it have been an African grey parrot? Because they would go on your head and would attack or start picking at you. Now he says a male African grey parrot wouldn't do it but a female one would do it and certainly if it was lost it would try to come in if they thought they were home. Now I googled an African grey parrot after Billy called and that looks very different to a pigeon. I think Noreen knows what a pigeon looks like the African grey parrot. It has similar colour to the pigeon but the face is very very different to a pigeon. I, I don't think that that Noreen, no, maybe she would, but I don't think Noreen would get that confused between an African grey parrot and a pigeon. I know in my garden, there's two of the most gentlest pigeons um, come in and they're, they've got this collar, they've like a marking around their neck and it's like a collar around their their, their neck. I know uh, my mother-in-law was massively into birds, was 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 uh, telling me about them when she saw them in the garden because they pair off and the two of them fly in and out of the garden. 
and they're absolutely gorgeous. They're kind of like a light brown, uh, like a beige uh, colour. But they're the most gentlest of birds. And you've got to, if I see them out in the garden, if they're at the bird feeder or whatever, I'll stay indoors because the minute I open the door, they'll fly off and, and they'll be gone. Uh, but they're a very gentle, gentle uh, bird. But you'd be nervous after listening to Noreen, wouldn't you, that you could get attacked uh, by the uh, by a pigeon. 0818103103. Now, we mentioned earlier that there was a protest outside uh, Karakil in Mallow over what's looking like a proposal to build modular houses for Ukrainian refugees. We sent Katie, our reporter, up there this morning just to have a chat with some of the protesters and to hear about their concerns. Community involvement, there's been no community correspondence. Nobody knows actually what is going on here. There was no, no planning notices up. There's no health and safety around it. There's health and safety breaches left, right and centre with this site. There's no signage back the road and it's a busy road. Yeah. It's on a hill. It's a blind crest. Nobody knows what's going on here. This team is bulldozed in on top of the community. There's been no community involvement whatsoever inside this. We don't know what's happening. Yeah. The council won't talk to us. The councillors won't talk to us. What are we doing? We've okay. one voice and that's our own voices and we're standing outside here to try and get answers from the, the authorities, from the councillors and we're standing here on our own. We are a small, a small community this side of the bridge. We've had no answers whatsoever. But if this goes ahead here, we don't know how far it's going to go. Yeah. Like there's a big we don't know who's going in there and we have here. to protect our kids. There's, a, there's three guards in the barracks at the minute. Three guards isn't going to be able to protect all of our kids if anything happens. So now we have to protect our own. So we have to take a stand really. School's very near down the road and we have never been notified of it. They're young kids and everything. And then they, they're rushing everything. This is the point. They're rushing everything so we can't get a say in it. Okay, and we're back again. It's just it were the, the very same issues in everyone who spoke there to uh, Katie. The very same issues that were that was mentioned earlier this morning when Anesh joined us and when uh, Finbar joined us. Uh, it's the same issue all over again that people are just saying, tell us what is going on, that, you know, knowledge is <laughs> is power. It is so, so important. And I know uh, yesterday when they were, I think they were discussing it in the doll, um, they were talking about the, you know, some of the asylum seekers now they're arriving, there literally is no room at the inn and they're ending up on the streets. They've been given vouchers for food. I think they've been given 20 euro done stores vouchers to go and buy a bit of food, but there's, there's no place for them to stay. And I saw that the Fianna Fall uh, TD Cahill Crow uh, made a complaint uh, about Rodrigo Gorman's well not directly the minister I suppose his officials lack of communication about accommodation for asylum seekers Deputy Crow said nobody from the department had engaged with people in Shannon in County Clare about potentially hundreds of asylum seekers being placed in a local warehouse facility uh, claiming it's a complete lack of information which is leading to far right groups exploiting the situation and that's what's happened with some of the protests as well you've just got to be so careful with the, the protests who's behind the protests and are they just trying to fuel anger in the area and it's it's an ongoing concern that I know the Gardaí are aware of and I know the government are aware of, aware of. But if you don't give local people the information, that's what happens. And that's how uh, misinformation gets out there. And that's when worry and concern. I mean, so they need to talk to the people above anything else. Let people know what is uh, happening. And just a final text in from uh, Pat. This is on a completely different topic saying, Patricia, does anybody know who is responsible for litter collection on our roadsides? between our towns in particular I'm talking about West
West Cork. The amount of litter present on ditches and verges lately is absolutely appalling. And even though we brought in a tax to discourage plastic bags, what's happened? The plastic bags have been replaced by plastic bottles, cans and takeaway coffee cups and tea cups. Now, I do my part in collecting as much rubbish as I can, but surely the local council should be doing more in terms of litter collection along uh, busy roads. And I know if I get onto the council, Pat, they'll come back and say they'd love to be out litter picking uh, every day, but they don't have the resources, they don't have the manpower and they don't have the funding. What typically happens, and it's unfortunate that it has to once again go back to People like the local tidy towns groups. It goes back to volunteers. I know, for example, I spoke a number of years ago. Sure, it was on a Good Friday they did it. Alice Taylor and a group from Inishannon headed out the Inishannon Road, and people came from the other side. I don't know if it was, it was as far from Bandon, but they came from another point and they met in the middle. And the amount of rubbish that they picked up from exactly what you're talking about the verges and, and uh, the ditches was was a phenomenal uh, amount and they went and kind of did I think it was on Good Friday because they, they reckoned that was a good day to do it because the road would be a little bit quieter there wouldn't be so many people out at uh, work etc so it goes down to volunteers uh, unfortunately it's mainly volunteers and local tidy towns groups but local tidy towns groups by their nature will look after their towns look after their areas and they'll go couple of kilometres outside of their town but they don't have the manpower either to do the whole stretch between town and town or village and village 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls you can text WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Court today on C103 With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group They don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie This is the Court Today replay on C103 A number of people are asking if Noreen who got attacked by the pigeon could send us in a picture of it to make sure that it is a pigeon because a lot of people are saying could it be a young grey uh, parrot even though I've looked I've googled the grey parrot and it doesn't look like a pigeon but anyway she's she's convinced it is a pigeon and she's going to send down the photograph uh, to us and uh, we'll find out more then. Now delighted to say Peter Dowdle the theirishgardener.com is back with us for another year. Uh, good afternoon to you Peter and Happy New Year. Dan Happy New Year to you too Trish and what what, what? What year is this for us, I wonder? We've, we've better I stop counting, God, I suppose. Yeah, I've no idea, but it's many, many years uh, indeed. You survived Christmas and New Year, OK? I did. It was lovely. I love I love the break of Christmas and I love the, the time out. And it gives us a chance to you know, sit back and enjoy the gardens, even though the weather hasn't been uh, amenable to it. But it does give us a chance to just take that time out and, and, and enjoy the outdoor space. Yeah. And actually, I saw a report that was out on Monday and I said, oh, I must mention that to uh, Peter because it's to do with uh, uh, um, glyphosate, which I know the weed killer that you're always on uh, about. And it was to do with tests on Irish families. And I found that one in four people uh, tested had had the controversial weed killer ingredient in their system. Uh, All those tested. Now, it was the glyphosate levels were well below what's currently set as a safe limit. But the, the study was less concerned on the concentrations within individuals but it was the fact that it was present in so much of the population bearing in mind that the European uh, Commission are, are currently re-evaluating uh, glyphosate but it's, it's incredible isn't it to think that it's actually getting into our systems and this is from people that are not even yeah. using it 
yeah and the, the thing is it's it's um it's might be underneath what the what is the safe level today but is there any safe level we just don't know you see this is the problem i mean i've told you before i remember when i was in college we were educated that glyphosate was a very safe weed killer um no i'm i'm, I'm not qualified to say that it isn't i don't know but i mean i, I know that like i don't think we should be using any of them and that it gets into the gets into our systems absolutely from people who aren't using it because a, a lot of unscrupulous i'm not tarring everybody with the same brush here but a lot of unscrupulous food producers will sprayed uh, grain crops with it to, to help it dry out quicker so it becomes i believe more valuable quicker um and it's it's the abuse of it that has got it into the the, the food system plus it's also a lot of people spraying it um near waterways and on on ditches and things like this where it gets into the water system and that's how it's getting into us and it is worry yeah which so just needs to be banned uh, full stop that's the, the one way of getting rid of it isn't it I think probably, yes, I think so. But as I say, you know what, it, it, I can say that and a lot of people would say, well, there's nothing to replace it. And I mean, it, it, outside of the garden where I don't think we need a weed killer, we can do things by hand. But in agriculture, it might, it might be naive to think that they can't do everything by hand. Um, so maybe there is a need for a weed killer. And maybe, like, I don't know that it is, I don't know how dangerous it is. I'm just, as I say, I'm not qualified to say, but I'd certainly rather err on the side of caution and, yeah. and I certainly don't use it. Yeah, and I know the World Health Organization, their cancer research concluded back in 2015 that it is probably carcinogenic. So, I mean, when the World Health Organization comes out with a statement like that, they need to be listened to. OK, let's get straight into questions because the questions are flying in for you already, including in this room. We did manage to get these photographs on to Peter uh, saying, uh, hi, Peter. What should I do with this plant? It's in the same place and the same pot since I got it last year. Well, yeah, and I saw the photograph, Christian. It's a lovely what's called a calancho or calancho. Um, it's a lo- it's an indoor plant, really, or you could have it outdoors during the summer in Ireland. But it's a lovely waxy leafed kind of a plant with these lovely small uh, lots of, of small flowers. Now, in the photograph, it's probably got too big for the pot that it's in, though it's thriving in the where it is. It's thriving where she has it or where the caller has it. Um, but it does need to be put into a bigger pot. Now, you could also cut it back a bit because it's gone a bit leggy from being in a small pot and maybe move it to somewhere more sunny. I think it might be getting leggy as well, you see, for because it's probably reaching for the light. So maybe put it where that's more more uh, daylight all around it. Uh, uh, that should stop it getting leggy. So cut it back, put it into a bigger pot. You can do all this right now if you want. Uh, and in fact, the, the prunings that you take, they'll all root quite easily well so just uh, maybe take a two or three inch uh, cutting into a bit of rooting powder into some compost yeah, and then you'll probably have new little calanchos to, to give to others to give to friends yeah, yeah and it's yeah it's pretty it's a nice it's a nice looking plant as well margaret says hi uh, could you ask peter please what flowers can i can she plant now she needs them flowered in april huh I hate these questions because if I get it wrong, I'm in trouble. It's probably there's, a, there's an event happening in April. Yeah, yeah. obviously. Um, yeah. So a, your your best bet is is go to the local garden centre now. We're in the end of January, or maybe even go to the local garden centre end of February. Uh, if you want to be sure of getting something in flower for that month, like I, I can tell you what should be in flower in April, depending what you're looking for. If it's shrubs, some camellias will be there, some azaleas will be there, others then will be later flowering camellias or later flowering azaleas, but some will be in flower for April. Um, you'll have a lot of the bulbs will be in flower that may, may have been planted last autumn, such as daffodils and the early tulips. Um, you also have little alpine 
like aubrichas, saxifragas, maybe some campanulas should be giving colour in April. So they're what should be flowering in April, but every year is different. And nature isn't an exact, you know, it, it doesn't happen exactly. It depends on what nature does in terms of weather between now and then and other conditions. So to be sure of getting something to flower in April, I would say a trip to the local garden centre at the end of February, early March, uh, and, and get stuff that's in bud that you know will be open in a few weeks time yeah, that's the safest yeah. way to be sure and, and I take it from the tone of the text it's you know they want colour for photographs maybe for some events that that is happening uh, question for Peter please what is the it fastest sounds like it. what is the fastest growing hedge I could plant to use along a driveway I want it for privacy Okay, well, be, I can answer that question, no problem, but be careful what you wish for because the fastest growing hedge doesn't just stop when it, magically when it's got to the height that you want it. So the fastest growing hedge will also be the highest maintenance hedge. Uh, and it makes sense that if it keeps growing and growing and growing, then it's, it's just going to keep going. So you might just want to hedge that's six foot tall. Well, the fastest growing hedge to get to that height would be something like a Leyland, the conifer Leyland, uh, or, or maybe Laurel. They'd be probably be two of the quickest growing hedges but they will keep going like the Leyland Palm will, will, will get 50, 60 feet, which if, if, if it's in a situation where you can take that, that's fine. Uh, but if it's in a situation where you only want something to get to six or seven foot, well, then there's two ways of looking for it. Or you can go for a quick growing hedge like Laurel or like, like a, a fast growing Leyland Palm, but you'll have to maintain it at the height that you want it, which is going to be quite a lot of work. And if, if, you, if you miss a year or two, then it becomes quite a big job to bring it back down. Whereas the other way of going at it is not necessarily going for the fastest growing hedge, but you could get a slow growing hedge that is already at six or seven feet. The downside of that is, is, is the cost you'll be paying for it because it might be 20 years old. Uh, but the benefit of it is it'll be low maintenance in time. So it depends exactly on what you're looking for. But the fastest growing hedge would be, I would say, the Leyland Palm uh, or Laurel. Now, do bear in mind, it, I, think, I think in urban situations, you're not allowed to plant the Leyland Palm now because um, it's just too vigorous and it's an alien species. But Laurel, in, the, in which case, would be the one to go for. OK, a couple of people have the same uh, question, including Mary saying, Hi, Peter. I have a few kgs of daffodil bulbs that I never got around to planting. Now, I'm not expecting any results this year, but would I be better off planting them into the ground next week just to prevent them being wasted? And somebody else is ever hopeful saying, if I plant daffodil bulbs, will I get something this year? Well, uh, I, yeah, absolutely. And nature is very forgiving. So you may, even for, even for the first caller, I think if you plant them now, you probably will get the results this year. It might be a bit later than normal, but you should. Uh, and I would say the answer to your question is a, is a resounding yes, plant them, because they're not going to store in the bags and be okay next autumn, which is the correct time for planting. Uh, plant them now, provided they're not gone soft and squashy. So if they're still firm to the touch, they'll be absolutely fine to plant now. And I would expect you, you would see some flowers this year, yes. Hi, uh, Peter. Should you leave leaves on a lawn or will that only encourage moss growth? And is lime good to prevent moss growth? So, so leaves on the lawn, yes, you should remove them because if, if you leave leaves on the lawn, it will uh, uh, encourage moss growth. But what it does, you see, it's just it's it's just blocking off sunlight to the grass beneath. So it'll, it'll lead to kind of brown patches of grass and poor growing conditions damp, no air circulation, 
ideal conditions for moss. Now, leaves shouldn't be seen as a waste product and shouldn't be dumped. They're, they're magic to go back into the soil. So absolutely leave them on the beds and borders. And if, you, if you're raking them off the lawn, either, either put them in a bag and tie a knot in the bag and let them break into leaf mold and put it back into the soil, or just quite simply put them into the compost bin or on top of the beds and let the worms and the soil microbes do their magic. So don't look at them as waste. They're not for the bin, but they shouldn't be left on grass, no. Uh, and the answer to the second part, yes, lime is very good to prevent moss because it'll it'll make the soil more alkaline uh, and moss can't grow in alkaline conditions. So, yes. OK. And hi, uh, Peter. How do you how do you prune blueberry plants? I have them growing in containers. They're three years old now. They do produce a lot of fruit, so I don't want to damage them in any way with my pruning. So any advice, please, from Nora? You, 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 they're three years old, so they're still not that old, actually. But what I would do is I would look at some of the older growth. I wouldn't take out all the, the three-year-old growth now because it'll be too, too severe for the plant. But if you look at the plant, you'll see some of the stems which are quite getting a bit older and thicker. So you could remove, let's say, up to a third of them. So if there's four or five stems, I would m- remove only one or two stems. Uh, and, and that'll promote newer this year's growth. And as regards the overall plant, I would probably reduce it in size a small bit, but not too much. A very light trim would be order of the day here, because it's still relatively young. Okay, you're just starting to break up, so we will leave it there. Listen, Peter, thank you for that, and uh, we'll chat again next week. A pleasure. Thanks, Thanks Trish. Thanks a million. Bye-bye. 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 That is uh, Peter Dowdle, uh, the IrishGardener.com. Uh, thank you to Noreen who got attacked by the pigeon. She sent me on the photographs because she took photographs of the pigeon when she thought it was a lovely little innocent little pigeon walking down the street beside her. And it is definitely a pigeon. It is not a parrot. OK, thank you for that, uh, Noreen. OK, that's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will be back with you tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock. On to the night, Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.